like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, and the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people, which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. Thou shalt bring them in, Plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for them to dwell in, in thy sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever and ever. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Our name, the unchanging word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Exodus chapter 15, Moses records the first song of redemption in the Bible. There are 18 verses in this song. Verses 1 through 5, the people sing about the Lord. In verses 6 through 18, they sing to the Lord. The people, however, went from singing to the Lord to complaining against Moses. And why? They wanted water to drink, but they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. But the Lord showed Moses a tree, which when it was cast into the bitter waters, they became sweet, that is, palatable to the taste. Dr. Mitchell explains this tree in Exodus chapter 15 with the unchanging word, Bible broadcast. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you and we rejoice in the wonderful grace of God to us. I'm sure you feel the same way. And we're in the book of Exodus, chapter 15. And in the first 19 verses, we have the song of Moses. I would like to repeat just what I said at the end of our last lesson. In chapter 15, you have, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. And all the way through, for 20 verses, 19 verses, you find that the Lord is the center of their song. He's the theme of their song. And you'll notice there is no song of redemption in the Bible till you come to chapter 15 of Exodus. It's when the people are redeemed that they begin to sing. You never read of them singing in Egypt, singing the glories of Christ. I wish today that we believers who Rejoice in the fact of our redemption, of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Oh, how much of a song we have. And when we sing, is the Lord Jesus the center of attraction? Is he the theme of our song? Do we magnify him? 
or is there a desire to be seen and known of men? And when one reads this, um, this song, and I'm going to read it, by the way, uh, we see the complete salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. This is a real song of praise. And you know, when we Christians realize that our Savior, the risen Christ, is at God's right hand, that he is the measure and pledge of all our acceptance with God. Did you ever stop to think of it? The Lord has redeemed you and me not only from judgment, from death, but he's delivered us from our enemies. And we have three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we've been emancipated by the power of God. In chapter 12, they were delivered on the ground of sacrifice. But now they're delivered by the power of God. He just blew on the Red Sea, and it opened up. That's all God has to do, just blow. Amazing thing how we Christians minimize the power and blessing of God. When I think of that verse in Ephesians 1, 6, we are accepted in the Beloved, and all that Jesus Christ is before God, my friend, that's where we stand, in all the beauty and righteousness of the Savior. You ought to bring a song into your mouth. Don't wonder over and over and over again, we are to be filled with thanksgiving. You take in Philippians, in everything, give thanks. And say for everything, but in everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So you have this wonderful fact that you and I stand before God in all the beauty of Christ. What about my sins? Oh, they're gone. They're gone forever. As Hebrews, you remember, chapter 10, verse 12 says, This man by one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. You know, the danger with us Christians is that we we spend so much time looking at our appropriation of Christ rather than him. And hence, there's uncertainty, there's lack of rest, there's lack of peace, and we've lost our song. I want you to mark this song. There's no note of personal merit or achievement in the song. It is all about him and his work from the beginning to the end. Self is forgotten in occupation with Christ. Now let me read it to you. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse in his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him and habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. Jehovah is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also were drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. With the blast of thy nostrils the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, 
my hand shall destroy them. This is what this is what the Egyptians said. And then it says, Thou didst blow with thy wind. See, covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Just think of it. Here's an army in battle array coming after this race of slaves. They were going to cut their heads off. They're going to destroy them and take all the spoil and go back to Egypt rejoicing in the whole business. And all God did was just blow. He just blew upon the waters. And that was it. Huh. You ever stop to think of it? Huh? Did you ever stop to think, Christian friend, of the kind of a Lord you have, the kind of a God you have? No wonder with the very next verse, 11 says, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, and the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people, which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold of the inhabitants of Palestine. And you notice from verses 14 on, you'll notice how they believed his word. And I want you to mark in it. Uh, their confidence that what God said he's going to do. Now notice it. The people shall hear, that is the people, these other nations shall hear, and sorrow shall take hold of the inhabitants of Palestine. The Edomites shall be amazed. The men of Moab shall tremble. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm they shall be as still as a stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in, plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for them to dwell in, in thy sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever and ever. My, what a passage of Scripture. And you'll notice there's absolutely nothing concerning what they have done. The Lord has done the whole thing. Man is entirely out of the picture. And when I read this, till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Ah, how true that is with us. You ever think of it, my friends? The moment you came and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and I'm talking about a real relationship. I'm not asking you if you've given a mental assent to these things or a mental assent to truth or the mental assent to the gospel. When you talk about putting, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that means to put your absolute trust in him as a Savior. There's no relationship established until that comes to pass matter between you personally and the Lord Jesus Christ. For in him is life. Now like that verse in Acts chapter 20, 28, where Paul writing to the elders of the church at Ephesus, he declared to them, take heed to yourself and to the flock of God over the which he has made you the overseers to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Just like Israel purchased 
God bought the race of Israel, of slaves out of Egypt. He's going to bring them into his own land. And as he demonstrated his power in Egypt and demonstrated his power here at the Red Sea, now, they, now they're rejoicing. Israel is rejoicing because of their redemption and because the power and honor and glory of God is going to be made known. To who? To the people of Palestine. To who? To the Edomites, to the Moabites, to the people of Canaan. They're all going to hear about how God delivered a race of slaves of over three million people out of the land of Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea. Now, when you come to the book of Joshua, you remember when the spies came to the city and they stayed with Rahab. She said, I, we've heard about your God. We tremble when we hear about your God. We know what he did in Egypt. We know what he did to the Red Sea. We know all about his power and his might that he's redeemed a people for himself. How glad I am that I belong to a people redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. So you have their confidence. And that confidence is because they believe the word of God. Our confidence of eternal salvation is based on the word of God. The very character of God, the very person of God is behind what he says. And if we read from Ecclesiastes 3.14, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. No one can add to it and no one can take from it and God doeth it that all might fear before him. God isn't working haphazardly. He's doing a real job. And when you accept the Savior, my friend, you pass from death to life. Now, starting in at verse 20, you read where Miriam, that is, the sister of Moses, the sister of Aaron, she was a prophetess. She took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse in his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Just a word about Miriam. You remember the last time you saw her? Mary was a girl taking care of a baby brother in the reeds, you remember, by the riverside in chapter 2. I've oftentimes thought about the mother of Moses. She had three children. My, what wonderful kids they were. What, what people they became. Moses, the great lawgiver, the great deliverer of Israel. Aaron, the high priest unto God. Miriam, a prophetess. Where did they learn all this? At their mother's knee, more than likely. Even though they were slaves, she brought her children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I would plead with you, dear mothers, today, and you fathers, may God grant that your boy and your girl may become men and women of God. And you, they're in your hands. And you start with them soon as they're born. In some way, keep before them the precious person of our Savior and the Word of God. And I tell you, my friend, there's more sinks into their heads and their hearts than you give them credit for. Oh, how we need this. Now, I don't mean to ram it down the children's throats. You know that. But I'm sure that this woman, Jochebed, she took that boy of hers 
Moses and Aaron, you remember, was three years older than him, than he. And Miriam, I take it, was the oldest one of the three. But how God used these children of one family. May God use your children to glorify him and to honor him today because we need, oh, how we need, desperately need men of God, women of God. Dear young people, if I'm talking to you, may God put into you a heart of passion to give yourself entirely over to the Savior, that his purpose, this is the most important thing for you on earth, is the will of God in your life. The important thing is not uh, being successful money-wise or honor-wise or whatever it may be, but the most important thing for you as a believer in Jesus Christ is the will of God being performed and worked out in your life and in my life. Moses led the song of victory, song of redemption, song of the holiness and the righteousness and the power of God. No wonder they sang. And they looked ahead. Whether they knew they were going to stay 40 years in the wilderness or not, I don't know. But they looked ahead that these nations would tremble, whether it would be Edomites or Moabites or in Palestine or the Canaanites, whoever they were. It heard about the living God through them. So we have in verse 22, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. Huh. Why didn't God provide them with water? They've just led the Red Sea. They've gone three days in the wilderness, howling wilderness. No water. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. By the way, that's what the word Mara means, bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? You know, don't you be too hard on Israel. There are too many of us like Israel. Oh, the patience of God. I'm ever amazed at the patience of God. They murmured when they were at the Red Sea. Wish we were living in Egypt. We'd rather die in Egypt than to be killed by the Egyptians here by the Red Sea. They'd rather be in Egypt in slavery than in the wilderness with God. What about you? Now, here they are, murmuring again. They came. Now, let's, let's be realistic about it. Here they are, men, women, and children, stock. They've gone three days in a hot, blazing wilderness, and there's no water. And then when they did come to a pool, the water was bitter, bitter. Now, what are they going to do? They murmured. We don't mark the attitude. Just three days out. <laughs> They've soon lost their song, haven't they? Three days before, they were singing the glories of God. Now they're murmuring. And this is their first test after the Red Sea experience. First test out of Egypt, out of, after the Red Sea. You know, friends, oftentimes the path of separation causes us to suffer with him. It's very bitter to the flesh. I know that. You know it. But the cross, I declare to you, my friend, the cross makes it sweet. That's why Paul could say in Galatians 6, 14, God forbid that I should glory, 
save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me, and I to the world. And so don't be surprised that when God leads you along, and he gives you deliverance from one test, first thing you know, you're in another test. But it's only in the hard places you get to know God. It's in the tests and trials of life that our faith is purified and strengthened. And it's in the tests of life we experience the power of God. Now, I don't think you're going to experience the power of God in heaven. You won't need it. You find that on earth. Do you know there's some things you're going to have on earth you'll never have in heaven? You're not going to witness for Christ when you get to heaven. That's on earth. You won't plead with God for lost men and women in heaven. This is a job on earth. And so what could go on? You won't have any test in heaven. No. Why? No need. You will need faith and you're walking by sight. I repeat it. It's in the hard places. We really get to know God. It was, they murmured, what should we drink? And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. He took a tree and cast it to the waters. You know, it's a wonderful thing how the cross makes bitter things sweet. You know, it's, it's true in life. A person can be bitter about things, and then for some reason, in some way, the Spirit of God begins to move on you. And he takes out of your heart all that bitterness. And then you begin to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you, how he loved you, how he gave himself for you, that he died on a tree to deliver you from the bitterness of sin and the corruption of men. And the instructions are very simple. Just throw a tree in. It'll, become, it'll be made sweet. And it was. It was made sweet. And there he proved Israel. It's in the tests he proves us. Where else does he prove us? He sends us tests. He allows circumstances to be around us that he might show forth his power and his glory. Now, I need to say any more about that. I want to take up the rest of the chapter and beginning of our next lesson, the revelation of God, a new revelation to Israel. But before I do, may I suggest, if I'm talking to someone today and you're in bitterness, please remember Bitterness is harder and affects the one who is bitter than the ones who are the objects of that bitterness. You know, it eats like a cancer in your soul. If I'm talking to you and you're bitter about some Christians done some things, I'm not, I'm not excusing the Christian or somebody else. But get your eyes on the Savior. The Lord Jesus will never, never disappoint you. And he'll take the bitter things of life and he'll make them sweet. He'll make them sweet. So instead of being a bitter, caustic person, you can become sweet, patient, understanding, and you get your eyes on the Savior. 
Oh, friend, when I think of his love for you and his love for me, how can we be bitter when he loved us enough to die for us, fit us for his presence, and to accept us in all the righteousness of Christ? What a provision. What a Savior. Believer in Christ, you enjoy the Lord today. And if there's something in your heart that is coming between you and the Savior, between you and some other believer, uh, you confess it to the Lord and then make it right with that other person. Don't allow bitterness to stay there. It's a bad thing. You get introspective, you get bitter, you get sour, and you're no good to yourself, and you're no good to anybody else. Oh, but they were so unjust. That may be, that may be. There's a lot of injustice today. But don't become bitter. You look to him. You look to the Savior who died for you. Glory in him. And say with Paul in Romans 5, 3, I will glory in my infirmities. Oh, uh, we, we rejoice in our intestines and trials, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and so on. Or in 2 Corinthians when Paul says, uh, Most gladly, therefore, will I rejoice in my infirmities. What for? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now you walk with him today. And may the Lord wonderfully, marvelously bless you for his precious name's sake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.